giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Ram Iyer, Chief Business Thinker and Professional Business Mentor at the Business Thinking Institute. So what is the Business Thinking Institute? Seven out of 10 businesses that get started in the U.S. fail. Yeah. I remember speaking at a Rotary Club and saying, you're walking down Main Street and you walk by 10 people. Would you pay attention? They said, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I said, what if seven out of those 10 people keeled over and died in front of you? Would you pay attention? And they said, of course, yes. You're like, what the hell are you thinking? Of course we would. I said, seven out of 10 businesses in America keel over and die. Yet very few people are paying attention. I've done four startups. You know, I worked at uh, Boeing and Lucent, Fortune 100 companies. I've been a VC, and I've done four startups. My second startup did very well, and we did business for big companies like Pfizer, uh, Cargill, DuPont, Sony, etc. And we did business uh, work for them in 16 countries. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Boy, things are going good. I've got the formula figured out. I know what's happening." The next startup I did, number three failed spectacularly, it imploded. And then of course, a true techie fashion, I said, why did it implode? Mm-hmm. I need to figure out why. So I picked up the phone, called all my buddies at uh, different uh, big consulting firms and professors at di- big business schools and said, why did this happen to me? And they all kept saying, lack of capital, lack of technology, lack of the right team, lack of the right plan. And I mean, everybody knows these. None of of these are secrets. But none of them rang as being true or could account in my mind for the magnitude of the implosion. So I said, there must be something else going on, but I don't know what it is. So I spent eight weeks thinking about it. Week nine, I suddenly had a flash. I said, wait a minute, if all these experts are right, let me go look at the failure rate of businesses in in recent times. Mm -hmm. So I looked at the data for the last 20 years. And you know what's happened to the failure rate of businesses over the last 20 years? I'm going to guess that it's been pretty static. Exactly. That didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And the reason it didn't make sense is a very simple reason. Let's say, Chad, that you're my advisor, okay? And I'm your advisee. You are smarter than your parents who are smarter than their parents who are smarter than their parents. Mm-hmm. And that's the nature of evolution, right? Right. So in human terms... You're one of the smartest advisors in human history. Two, on the other side of the table, I'm one of the smartest advisees in human history. Our understanding of how to succeed in business is the most advanced. Technology is most advanced, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think should be happening to the trend line of business failures? It should be going down. It should be going down. It wasn't going down. I said, wait a minute. All these experts are certain about what the problem is. But the data is not supporting the mm-hmm. advice that they're giving. Right. So maybe there's something missing. So I said, what could it be? Then I noticed a very simple commonality in what they were advising. Lack of capital, lack of technology, lack of the right team, lack of the right plan. They said I lack something. And two, anything they said I lacked was external to me. Mm-hmm. So I said, that's not giving me the answer. Let me do some inversion thinking and said, what if it was not external? What if I was not lacking but have it? And what if it's not external? It's within me. So what do I have within me that caused me to fail? 
And then suddenly the light bulb started going off. One, two, three, four. I got four. Then I started thinking some more. I got a total of six. Then I called up uh, some of these same uh, experts and said, hey, I thought about it this way. And they go, oh, what? in that case, here's one more. Here's one more. I got <laughs> up to nine. Now I'm at 13. So then I put together a little survey and got 320 business people to take the survey, including 75 multimillionaires. Mm-hmm. And ask them a lot of proxy questions around these issues. I call them the silent killers of success. So in other words, I won't ask you, hey, Chad, are you a shorty? You'd probably come beat me up. (laughs) But I'd say, you know what? When you walk through a doorway, do you have to bend your head? And you say, of course not. I walk tall. Thank you, shorty Chad, right? Because now I know you're short, right? So we asked a lot of indirect questions that got people to share information and we found a positive correlation between the silent killers and business success. So like I had one guy who's a billionaire who took the survey, mm-hmm. 75 millionaires, multimillionaires. They answered some of these questions very differently than the ones who failed. Because you know, 320 minus 75 is still almost 250 people, Yeah, right? Those people didn't make it. So when I found those, one of the key things I found in there is you know, in order to be a good carpenter, what should you be enjoying doing? Carpentry. Carpentry. If you want to be a good plumber, plumbing. Yep. If you want to be a good engineer, engineering. If you want to be a good business person, what do you need to love doing? Well, you need to love business. <laughs> Correct. Now, pause for a moment. I, I know I know that was a rhetorical yeah. question. Pause for a minute and think about this. How often have you heard people say, I'd really rather be coding. I hate this business shit. Right. I'd really rather be X, fill in the blanks. I'd rather be a finance person. I'd rather be designing. I'd rather be something else. But I don't like all this business stuff. Mm -hmm. Please tell me if you'd rather be doing something else, why do you expect to be successful? It seems very trivial. It seems simplistic. It seems like it's common sense. It seems like it's obvious. So that fundamental thing is, then I said, so what, what is different about the people who do succeed in business? So I went and talked to a bunch of people. Like, for example, in the U.S., uh, in the hotels and motels, uh, about more than half of them are owned by one community uh, out of India, the Patels and the Shahs, the Gujaratis. They own about half the motels and hotels in the U.S. today. Why do a, a lot of Sikhs own a lot of gas stations? There is something about these people, something about their mentality that gets them to be entrepreneurial and succeed. Like the Koreans own a lot of the... Uh, a dry cleaning business. So there are many groups that do this. So I went and talked to a bunch of them and I found a stark difference between people who are successful in business and who are not. I boiled it all down to one simple thing. People who are successful have business thinking. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a simple example. If you're an engineer, you say, I need to make sure I do a really damn good job at engineering this part or writing this piece of code. And that's why we stop. And who decides whether that's the right piece of code? Oh, somebody gave me the requirements. I just have to do it. Uh, Are you getting paid for it? Well, the company is paying me. If uh, if, if it's not, I'll go talk to my boss at the end of the year. That's very classic, right? Business guy doesn't think that way. If you say, you know what, can you write a piece of code? He says, what exactly do you need? And he kind of interrogates you, if you will, Mm -hmm. to find out exactly what you need to make sure that he's providing the value that will satisfy your need. That's step one. Step two, and he says, and Chad, 
how much are you willing to pay for it? So in other words, he says, I will give you value and I expect value back in return. Mm -hmm. So people who have business thinking are very focused on providing value to the other person and, and the key thing is and, and receiving value back in return. So if you think of people, if you only provide value but don't receive value back in return, these are the people who are, I'm only doing it because I love what I do. I don't care about the money. Mm -hmm. There are millions of those people. Or I'm doing it because Chad took advantage of me. I'm doing it because, because, because. And they don't have much to show for it in return. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you're simply saying, I'm, I need to get into Chad's wallet all the time, uh, Chad's not going to let me anywhere near him because I'm not providing you value, but I want value from you in the form of money. So people who have this and thinking, providing value and receiving value in every transaction that they do are people who have business thinking and they are the ones who succeed in business. Once I figured that part out, I said, I need to teach people about the value of business thinking. And you're saying, why does it really matter? I'll give you a very simple example. There are 7.6 billion people on the planet and the population is growing. We're going to hit about 10 billion by 2050. At the same time, the people, you and I went to school. The schooling system was designed for the industrial age. Right. So, Chad, go get a degree in mechanical engineering and become a mechanical engineer. Ram, go get a degree in finance and be get a finance job. We were all trained to be accepting and working in jobs for companies. But the rate of business formation, new company creation, the ones who survive, is dropping worldwide. That's a fact. It's data. So there are more people coming into the workforce, but not enough companies to give them jobs. Mm -hmm. But then in the meantime, uh, there is also automation and AI that's coming in, which means they need fewer people to generate the same amount of revenue. And then the third thing is, earlier it used to be, you get a job with the Bose company or Walmart, pick, pick your favorite company. You join traditionally in the old days, you would probably retire at that company. Right. And you'll get a pension. Everything, you know, it's kind of like from graduation to death, the company takes care of you. But that's not going to be the case. The future is we need something done. We need to have this room built. You know what? Let's go hire one mechanical engineer. I don't care who it is. Let me go hire a sound engineer. Let me go hire, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. They bring all the people together. Once they build it in two months, they disband the group and saying, Chad, bye-bye. Right. There is no job security. Given all of these, the education system is not preparing people for the future of work, which is you're essentially on your own. You're Chad Paitel Inc. Chad Paitel Inc. needs to know how to define your value, how to package it, how to find a market for it, how to market it into that market, how to negotiate and sell, how to deliver, how to collect money, take a portion of it and set it aside for your 401k retirement, mm -hmm. right? Because you don't have a 401k plan. And you need to worry about everything that happens to you from the time you become a reasonable adult. There is no system for that. And the foundation, if you will, of what everybody needs going into the future is business thinking. Because what is my value is part one of business thinking. How do I provide value? How do you go and figure out what value Chad would pay for? And how do you deliver it? How do you extract value back from Chad either in the form of money, barter, goodwill, or I'll give you an endorsement, or I'll give you the next job, whatever the return is, mm -hmm. right? Nobody's training people for that. 
So unless we train people about the value and the importance of business thinking, we will have hundreds of millions of people around the world who will be unable to provide for themselves and their families. And that's why I started the Business Thinking Institute. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a developer, which I am, uh, but not even really using me as an example, but I might have this problem. I love doing design and development, but I don't love business. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in your opinion that I can learn to love it or I can learn to do it in a way that's going to make me successful despite the fact that I don't love it? Or should I not, should I not try? <laughs> well, it's uh, actually even simpler than that. Mm -hmm. uh, one is, what is success is entirely up to you. So, so you say success for me as a developer is I want to really love what I, what I code. Coding is the most important thing. And if I make, I don't know, $50,000 a year, I'm all set. Mm -hmm. Okay? You will behave in a different way. Right. If, on the other hand, you say, I'm doing some top-level coding that's very scarce, I want to make at least a couple of million a year. Or I want to become a multimillionaire and retire by the time I'm 40. Success is your own definition. I want to become famous for what I do. I want to barter for my coding. So success is something you have to define. But if you find that you don't have that kind of business thinking, the simplest thing to do is to find a partner who does yeah. or who is, which is often what happens. You know, I've gone and looked at the, you know, as you know, I look at the MIT alumni database pretty regularly. And I look at the number of CTOs, CIOs, VPs of some kind of a technical discipline mm -hmm. versus CEOs. There are very few CEOs out of MIT. Right. Okay. And then when you go and look at the, their participation in startups, they tend to be in CTO roles and they end up being a co-founder. And there's usually a Wharton or Harvard MBA who steps in and becomes a CEO. Right. And who gets most of the spoils? The Harvard MBA, Wharton yeah. MBA. So the thing is, so the two-part answer, one is, no, you don't necessarily have to embrace all these skills if you don't want to. You can find a partner who, mm -hmm. who will or who already has. But keep in mind that if a partner is more business-minded than you are, has a business thinking that you choose not to embrace, he is likely to reap more of the rewards than you will. Yeah. So the mistake people make is not being honest or realizing that that's the case and thinking that they can do it themselves when they don't really love it. Actually, it's, it's even simpler than that. Mm -hmm. It may seem very trivial to you. They don't know what they don't know. Okay, yeah. See, they get stuck up in, you know, oh, I went to this school. You know, I can code in this language. I can do that. I can do the other thing. They don't stop and say, but I don't know business thinking or I'm not good at business thinking because that's not even on their radar. Yeah. So part of what I'm trying to do is to raise the awareness of people saying, one, you need it. And if you don't uh, acquire it and if you go and uh, partner up with somebody else who has it or does it, you're likely to get, a, get the short end of the stick. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, wait, 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 so, so what do I do? it's actually fairly easy to develop business thinking. Developing a business mindset is more difficult. What is the difference between those two things? Business thinking is when you think, what do you do? You ask yourself a question mentally and you answer it mentally. So what are the six kinds of things you can eat for dinner today? And what goes through your mind quickly? You quickly enumerate, you know, well, I can think of, you know, I can have a burger, I can have this, I right. can have that. You know what? You know, today evening, uh, 
uh, my family is uh, not in town, you know, maybe I can go out to a restaurant. So you're kind of working on all these different scenarios, but what do all of those stem from? A question that you ask. Mm -hmm. So thinking is about asking a set of questions that drive you towards that. So business thinking is a matter of asking a question, how can I add value to the other person and get value back in return? That's mm -hmm. thinking. Mindset is a certain set of beliefs that cause you to behave in a certain way. So that is a combination of your personality and your upbringing. So engineers, for example, they need certainty. They've been trained. If you design something that fails, you will be a failure. You could be put in jail. You could get fired. So they look for certainty all the time. In business, when you're trying something, particularly as an entrepreneur, you don't have certainty. So for, to an engineer, it's 50% black or 50% white. There's mm -hmm. nothing else. Mm -hmm. In business, it's probably 5% black, 5% white, and 90% gray. Yeah. So the most important attribute in business is good judgment saying the gray. Should I count it as black in this situation or should I count it as white? Mm -hmm. Whereas with an engineer, okay, uh, should I do it or not? Black, white. Different mentality. So the mindset, I mean, that's one example. I can give you quite a few. So depending upon what field you come from, uh, embracing the business mindset is easy in some ways and difficult in some ways. So for example, if you're a lawyer, lawyers are always uh, trained to look for the downside of things. What could go wrong? Yeah. That's the first thing that goes through <laughs> yeah. the lawyer's mind. In many ways, the lawyer is also similar to an engineer. Mm -hmm. yes. Okay, But a software engineer says, you know, I need to make sure that my piece of code works. Somebody else will worry about the other pieces. Yeah. But if you're a, you know, a, a civil engineer designing a bridge, he says, I need to make sure this thing doesn't collapse. Yeah. Working with a lawyer on something is a good way maybe to discover whether you have a business mindset or not. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I often, when we're working with an attorney, it, it's it's all just about the downsides. And we, and, and we say, no, here's what we want to accomplish. Here's what we're trying to do. And then the attorney needs to uh, to work out the the rules for how to create all the safeguards for that. And I found it useful to make a letter of intent or, or you know something like that that lays out the business reasons for why we're doing. And mm -hmm. then the attorney says, "Ah, I understand what we're trying to accomplish here," and is able to write. And it's the same thing with developers as well at Thoughtbot. If we don't understand the reason why we're doing something, we're not going to create great code, and we're not going to be excited to do it. But Correct. once the business right. reason, the the why behind we're do, why we're doing what we're doing is clear, then we say, "Ah, we got it. Okay, and now I'm excited to. I understand the value that I'm going to be creating, and I can use my skill set to help achieve that." But it is it needs to be laid out first before I can do that. Correct. But see, you're, you're absolutely right. And let me push that one step further. So you know how to write a piece of code. Mm -hmm. Whether that piece of code meets my business need or not, most people don't think about. Right. Who thinks about that part in a, in a company, in a business setting? It's usually the sales guy mm -hmm. or the delivery guy. Mm -hmm. The guy who's delivering, who's installing the software saying, wait a minute, it doesn't do exactly that. Okay, let me go and write another piece of code that will make it do that. Or I'll go tell my software guys to do that. Or you go to a lawyer and uh, you say, you know, I got this problem, this problem, this problem. And he says, okay, there are five options. But he tells you the law, but guess who still has to make the business decision? Mm -hmm. It's you. Mm -hmm. 
so 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 with all of these things that ability to go that last mile is what separates somebody from you know a, a person with business thinking from a person who is simply an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor saying you know i'm going to do my part go away yeah like like i'll give you i'll give you a simple example uh, i think this was in singapore they have too many cars on the road heavy heavy traffic congestion yeah. So they went to an engineering company and said, hey, listen, uh, let's do a study and we need to figure out some answers. Guess what the first answer from the engineering company was? Build more roads. Build more bridges to relieve the traffic congestion. What problem was the city actually trying to solve? People need to get from home to work. They need to commute during the two rush hours when they have the greatest congestion. So the need for society is to transport people from point A to point B, wherever A is, wherever B is, yep. right? So it doesn't have to be on the road. It doesn't have to be in a car. Who made their assumption? The engineer saying, hey, listen, yeah. I get to build more bridges. I get to build more roads. Right. So they came up with congestion pricing and they increased the number of cars, you know, pu public transportation. So they relieved the congestion on the roads and they use the capacity that was al already available in the public transport system. Mm -hmm. But you notice how people look at the problem they think they're solving. Right. So somebody who says, I really understand Chad's need, and if I can meet it, I'm going to be a hero in your mind and you will pay top dollar for me. Mm -hmm. If I simply say, listen, I've written a piece of code, I've sent it to Chad, what he does with it, that's his problem, I don't care. I won't get paid because I won't get paid much. I'll only get paid for a piece of code. Yeah. That's it. Well, and increasingly those kinds of things, and you made this point earlier, are either becoming commodity. Anyone can write code. So many people all over the world can write good code. And if you're Correct. only looking for something, but it also then increasingly further, those kinds of things are being automated or replaced uh, with artificial mm -hmm. intelligence and machine learning and that kind of thing. So um, those things are going to, they used to be valuable. <laughs> they're increasingly less valuable, and they're only going to to be that way. So if you if you if you aren't finding the value that you're going to provide, you're not going to be valuable. Correct. That that is true. I'll give you another angle to the same thing. Let's say that you have a problem with your eyesight. Let's say that your problem is only with your left eye, not your right eye. Mm -hmm. So if you come to me and say, you know, you're a Ram, you're an optician. You know, I'm having trouble seeing properly. Oh, I'll sell you a pair of glasses. That's fine. You know, give, give me the prescription. I'll, I'll fill it for you. Okay, I'm selling you a commodity. Right. Whereas somebody else says, okay, so what exactly is going on? Have you been to an optometrist and seen it? Have you been to an ophthalmologist? What does he say is wrong with your left eye that's different from the red, right eye? Okay, maybe the glasses are not the right thing. Maybe you need to go and seek medical treatment. Maybe you need different powered lenses, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in, in, for those two eyes. So who would you rather talk to, the first guy or the second guy? The second guy, hands down. Yes. Because he's actually meeting your need and helping you to overcome a problem you face, as opposed to, let me figure out how to sell what I already have on my mm -hmm. shelf. This is interesting, which is, you know, I'm a designer and developer by background, but I'm the CEO of ThoughtBot. I've obviously been running the company for 15 years and doing a lot of business things and sales. But I can always be better at what I'm doing. So we've been doing some sales training, uh, coaching at ThoughtBot. And, and one of the things we learn is that 
some customers come to you thinking that they just want the solution. Mm -hmm. You know, they arrive late in the process and they expect you to just deliver the solution. And so the thing we actually need to do is slow down, <laughs> ask questions, get to the mm -hmm. root of what we're trying to do. So it is a mistake, I think, that consumers make or that people make. And when you're talking to an expert or when you're talking to a firm to just say, here's my problem and I, and I want the prescription. So when you face that, it is important, it's critical as a business person or a salesperson to do that, to slow down, ask questions, find out what the real problem is and gain their trust by asking those questions. And then you understand, you can also identify the real solution to the problem or the real valuable uh, thing that you mm -hmm. could be doing for, for people. Very true, very true. So there's a whole design aspect to this, which is, um, we talk in, in terms of jobs to be done philosophy. Have you heard of, have you heard about this? No. It's the idea of identifying for any product or service or, or anything what the job to be done is, like what the core reason that someone actually is buying the product or hiring the, the product mm -hmm, for. Mm -hmm. And it comes from disruption theory. So the, one of the famous examples that is always used when you talk about jobs to be done is... You know, if I'm a company that makes drills and I get really excited about drills, I'm making the next drill, I'm putting laser sights on the drill, I'm putting lights and all that kind of stuff. But the core job to be done that the, the customer's actually hiring my product to do is to put a hole in the wall. Correct. Correct. And so another company can come along and find a better way to put a hole in the wall, <laughs> cheaper, faster, Correct. whatever it is, and they're going to eat my lunch because I've been focused on making the ever more expensive, complicated drill. You make a good point. And see, that is the same point I was making earlier mm -hmm. about making time to figure out what the person's need is. Right. As opposed to just like, say, you go to a lawyer and say, I got this problem. He says, you have five choices according to the law. But he doesn't solve your problem. He just tells you the law. Yeah. <laughs> so but a lawyer who goes that extra step and says, I understand that. So based upon your situation, I would go to option three, and this is how it will solve your problem. Mm -hmm. And you're going, man, I'm glad, I'm glad I talked to this guy. I hope, I wish I'd hired him sooner. Yeah. Some of the, the this whole jobs to be done thing comes from marketing as well, like understanding why people are buying your product is a, traditionally a marketing thing. Come, this comes from the marketing. But we do jobs to be done interviews where we're interviewing customers. And what we're asking them is questions like, what was on your mind that led you up to this purpose? How are you feeling? What were you thinking about? And because so many products are emotion, like especially things like cars mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, like finding out what went into the reason why someone chose your product, like that expensive luxury car is mostly about feeling and status and mm -hmm. uh, getting, <laughs> getting understanding of that rather than, oh, it goes fast. Or it's going to get me like there are so many ways uh, to use your of getting from point A to point B. Customers often choose the way for entirely different reasons than you mm. might be thinking about as the provider of that service or that product. Very true. So after you hit upon this, you said you did four companies. Did you do a company after you thought you, you came up with business thinking and this quiz and identified the failure? No, no, that's no. the company I'm uh, doing yeah, right yeah, okay. now, which is the Business Thinking Institute. <laughs> yeah. So so this one, I go around giving keynote talks. Yeah. So okay. what, I, what I was going to ask then is, 
how are you applying business thinking to the Business Thinking Institute? Oh, I, very simple. See, the traditional way of doing it is to say, okay, I give these two talks, three talks, whatever it is, right? I'm going to write up sales sheets and I'm going to bombard the world, mm-hmm. right? Send it out to 10,000 people or 50,000 people. That's the traditional thinking. I'm not doing that. I wrote up a sales sheet so that I had clarity in my mind. And then I reached out into my network and into the network of prospects and said, you know, I'm so-and-so, I've done four companies, I've worked at two Fortune 50, I've been a VC, and I've figured out a bunch of things. I would love if we could have an introductory call for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. I've talked to over 100 people. Just this week, I have 21 introductory calls. Every time I talk to them, I one, I learn more about them. Mm-hmm. And then I also ask them, what kind of challenges do you face? There's nothing fake about it. I'm being 100% genuine about it. Yep. I'm trying to understand their issues. And when they tell me what their issues are, I figure out if there is a match or not, whether their pain is something that I could alleviate or not. Very often, uh, without naming names, I've pointed them at other people and said, you know, you should really go talk to Chad. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'd be happy to make an introduction to Chad. I'm not doing this because I'm giving away business because it wasn't my business to be had in the first place. Yep. Because Chad could add more value than I could. But there are situations, like I talked to two people yesterday who have a need for exactly what I'm doing. Because mm-hmm. when I explained my thinking and how I came up with it and I have oodles of data on this, they said, oh my gosh, you should come and talk to my group. I talked to one guy, He's he has 6,800 engineers working under him. He said, come talk to me, I need this help. Mm-hmm. So so I'm, I'm doing exactly what I'm prescribing, which is I've figured out what my value is and I'm articulating it in a way that makes the most sense to people who have a particular set of issues. And then I go and ask them, tell me about yourself, tell me what kind of issues you have, and only if I find a match between what they need and what I can offer, does it go to the next step. Mm-hmm. And right now, is it just you? Uh, it's me. I have a small team. It's yep. a technical team, but I also have some, uh, you know, the thinker types, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, so we will grow. But I don't expect to grow big like I did with my last firm. That's what I was going to ask is what's your vision? What, you know, what are you working towards? What kind of company are you, do you think you're trying to create? In the long run, my suspicion is we may be 10, 15 people at the most. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't expect it to get large, but I expect to have a large virtual team. Even though I have, I have a server guy, I have a software guy, I have my own graphic designer, I have my own. There's a long list. Mm-hmm. The last company, I had all these people hired and on staff. Mm-hmm. I was carrying them. I was paying them a salary. The faulty thinking I had back then is it cost me less to carry them per hour. But the thing is, I was paying for a number of unnecessary hours. Right. <laughs> so what is the impact that you want to have? That one is actually a very simple, and I'll tie it back to where I started uh, answering your first question, which is 7.6 billion people around the world are oblivious to the fact that they need business thinking. Yeah. So I want to raise awareness. So if you go look at our website, businessthinking.com, and go under About, and there is a section called my why. I articulate this big problem that's coming. And I've actually written up a TED talk that I'm giving later this year, uh, which is very simply titled, Life is Business is Life. If people understood that 
everybody needs this kind of value thinking, mm -hmm. which I label as business thinking. They'll see how it is essential for them to earn a living. So I want to go around the world, and I, I'm trying to find people who will fund uh, all of this travel because you know I'm not uh, independently wealthy to you know travel to 50 countries or 100 countries before I die. Just giving talks can't do that. To be nice, but yeah. not now. Then you know I, what I'm planning on doing is going around giving talks at companies for a fee, mm -hmm. or running workshops for companies for a fee. But let's say I come up to Boston, or I go to you know Indianapolis, or I go to Jakarta, Indonesia. Uh, if I give a paid talk, I can also stop by at a business school alumni group or a group of entrepreneurs and talk about the same issues with them, except that the message to them would be slightly different. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I go to a company, they're saying, you know, we have a bunch of techies, so I'll talk about business thinking for techies. Yep. If I go to a group of entrepreneurs, they already know about entrepreneurship, how to raise capital, technology, people, etc. But they haven't stepped back and said, in order to be successful and be amongst the 30% that do succeed, you also need to develop business thinking and you need to avoid the silent killers of success. Mm -hmm. They go, oh, what is that? That I can explain. And those will be pro bono. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that part of the problem here is the education system that we have today is not set up for today's economy. Is there a way to incorporate this value-based thinking into the education that the world is receiving? That is a good question. About a month and a half back, I interviewed the head of open learning at MIT on my podcast, and we kind of talked through this thing. I don't know the answer, mm -hmm. uh, but I do know that it needs to be. I figure that once I give these two or three TED Talks, uh, people will start noticing. I'm also going and recruiting many people to help them to see this and support the cause. Like over the weekend, I was with Marshall Goldsmith, who is the number one executive coach in the world. And I told him about this. And he says, that sounds like a really good idea. So, so he's endorsing the podcast we are doing around mm -hmm. business thinking. Mm -hmm. So we need, I need to recruit more and more people. And as I talk to all these 100 plus people in this little journey, uh, I'm uh, sending out the podcast links to every one of them, you know. With 100 more people that will listen, they'll say, you know what, I know this Ram guy, I'm going to listen. And they may turn around and tell people. And when I tell them about how it can help them individually and help their companies, people go, hmm, interesting. Even if they don't hire me, they're going to turn around and say, hey, I heard this. You guys, we should embrace this ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that it spreads. My goal, if you go look at my website, is to reach 1 billion people yeah. and impress upon them, make them aware of the need for business thinking within the next 25 years. If I had Facebook, I could get it done overnight, but, you know. <laughs> well, I wish you the best of luck with that. You already mentioned the podcast, but where can people find that? Oh, it's businessthinking.com yep. slash podcast yeah. with an S at the end. And there is a quiz online too, right? Yeah, we do have a quiz under assessments. Mm -hmm. uh, and the top one there is, do you have the silent killers of success? Yeah. Uh, very simply, I mean, I'll tell you statistically, the maximum score is 81. And if you get a score below 60, you have silent killers within you that are dangerous. Yep. That could cause you to fail. If you're above 60, they may, you, know, you may be able to survive and you may be able to succeed. But uh, look for that magic score of 60 on that particular quiz. Because we arrived at that statistically. 
How long does it take to do the quiz? About five minutes. Yeah, cool. It's uh, 17 questions. Yeah. So the key, the only thing with the quiz is, please do not try to impress anybody, including yourself. Answer it honestly. And when you get it, give me a call. I'm happy to explain it to you. Because if you don't address it, uh, it's a matter of time before you get screwed. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time and all the effort you're putting into helping people succeed. Absolutely. Many thanks, Chad. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, do me a favor and tell a friend about it. It really helps. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode and all the others at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.